Welcome back to All the Things with Luke Tim. I am Luke Tim, and I just want to say thank you. We've had a little bit of a jump in the number of people who listen recently, and it's just fun. It's fun for me, so I hope you enjoy it too. But if you don't, I don't care because I enjoy doing it. So you must you must like it because you keep listening. So there you go. But at any rate, um, thanks for listening. And indeed, if, if you've got anything you want me to talk about, please let me know. Uh, all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com, at Luke underscore Tim on Twitter, Luke underscore Tim Instagram, Facebook, however you want to find me, that's cool. And as always, um, again, I love doing these, and I try and just make them genuine, just talking. That's, that's how I've been saying, just talking. And so if you don't like a little bit of salty language, not much, hardly any in this episode, um, then don't let your kid listen, that's fine. But anyways, today we're talking to a good friend of mine named Jim. Jim has got an interesting story, a former member of the LDS for a long time and has come to our congregation, come to the Christian church here at Living Faith and all of that in a pretty cool way. So I don't want to ruin it. I'm just going to let you hear his story. So without further ado, please welcome my good friend, Jim. There you go. Now we're live. Hey, Jim, how you doing? All right. Good to have you in today. I've been looking forward to this day for a while. Um, you've been a topic on a podcast or two where your name has been brought up. Uh, one of my favorites was Brandon when he kept saying, I don't want to, I don't want to talk too much on Jim to tell his story, but Brandon's a big fan of, of yours from our Wednesday Bible study. So really, yeah, he thinks you've got a cool story about, um, well, everything that you've been through up to this point. So it's kind of cool. Well, it has been an interesting life. It sure sounds like it, which is what I want this whole thing to be. So I'm not going to ruin anything. I, I really just want to hear from you the story and um i like that it doesn't start in waukee but it i want the story to start in waukee in the house <laughs> that one of our current members owns and is raising their children in. i think that is hilarious well it's it it is uh, uh i'm glad to see the house being maintained and and kept up mm-hmm. it's an old dutch colonial mm-hmm. and uh, when i was in high school here my dad decided that we were going to build a porch. So we built a porch to go in front of it. Uh, it was also in the basement uh, set up for cold deliveries. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that didn't leave enough room for my dad's pool table. <laughs> so I spent almost one summer taking out one of the walls with sledgehammer and chisel uh, to, to open that basement up. And I, I, I had uh, learned to really not like hammer and chisel too much. Yeah, I bet. Jeez. That was miserable down there. Cold delivery, though. I mean, that is that is going old school. And those buildings are still with us and that infrastructure oh, yeah. is still around. It's like we can't maintain the, the infrastructure that we have right now, power outages and stuff. It's, it's crazy. But cold delivery would still work if we needed to. Sure it would. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? Uh, and, and we're lucky in Iowa because – we're more likely to take mm. into account what kind of nasty weather there is going to be. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, in Virginia, for instance, uh, any change in the weather was a real surprise. Uh, and we were sandwiched between the Appalachian Mountains inland and the Atlantic Ocean on the other side. Mm-hmm. So it was a real challenge to predict weather. Yeah. When I was in uh, St. Louis for three years, um, the joke was always every day the, the forecast was the same, 30% chance of rain. Because there was, there was zero like actual physical geographic anything. So they couldn't tell what the fronts were going to do. It was like, eh, uh, might rain, might not, hard to say. I hated St. Louis. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> back, to, back to the story. What happens after high school in Waukee? Well, I, mean, I was a student at uh, Des Moines Area Community College um, back when they had a journalism program. I also worked on the student newspaper. And uh, that's where I met Jan. Uh, my wife. Okay. Uh, we were both on the student newspaper. And uh, we dated once and absolutely no sparks. <laughs> Not at all. Barely tolerated each other. Um, so after that, I uh, worked in weekly newspapers and then in broadcasting. Uh, Corridan, I was the news, a news editor for the paper down there. Okay. I was the managing editor at the Marion County News. And then I went to work... Uh, for the Dallas County Ambulance Service, based out of Perry. Um, you see, I was supposed to grow up and go to medical school or dental school like my older brothers. Gotcha. So always look for things that might test just how much interest I had. Right. And while I did have interest, I really didn't want to be a doctor. Right. I was 45 years old before my parents quit offering to send me to medical school. <laughs> nice. <laughs> By that time, I... I, I not only graduated from law school, but had a pretty thriving practice. And uh, so they finally, at that stage, quit offering, um, which I found always interesting. Right. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the different mental motivations were to a lot of the things they, just they gave did. Up. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I really think so. Because uh, I really didn't want to be a, a doctor or a dentist. Right. Really didn't want to be a lawyer. But I thought it would appease the family. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough to success. So I, I worked uh, for a while at Iowa News Radio. Uh, and in college, I covered the legislature and the crime beats. Okay. And I really had a ball with that. That was fun. Um, so I left the ambulance service to go to work at Iowa News Radio. While I was there, we got married, then moved to Sioux City. And uh, we were attending the Presbyterian Church uh, because that's where my brother went. And it was the politically correct church to be going to because the pastor was also the mayor of Sioux City. No way. Yep. Which meant that if I was uh, a member of the congregation, I sure did get a lot easier access than anybody else. Uh, But one morning I had overslept. overslept, And uh, too late for church. My wife says, no, it's not. We can go to this one down in the corner. Well, I don't know who they are, what they are, but she insisted that we go. She had been uh, reading the Reader's Digest inserts uh-huh. about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Interested because she was a Donnie and Marie fan. Gotcha. And so I conceded and we went to, uh, I thought it was the most unfriendly church in town. There wasn't anybody that wanted to come out and have, smoke a cigarette with me. <laughs> Nobody offered me a cup of coffee. Uh-huh. <laughs> they didn't offer me so much as a donut. <laughs> What's wrong with these people? And by that night, the missionaries were calling on us. 
Sure. And uh, it, it was a whirlwind kind of thing because I was leaving Sioux City to go to Lincoln, Nebraska to go back to school. Okay. They wanted to make sure that I got baptized before, yeah, before I left, left sure. and lost the hook. Mm-hmm. So you're going to school in Lincoln, Nebraska for, is that law school? No, I was finishing up my uh, bachelor's degree. Okay, okay. Um, majored in psychology, minors in English and uh, history. And uh, it, it was strange in Lincoln. That was one of the most bizarre experiences that I had with the church. Uh, they even performed an exorcism on me. <laughs> Sweet. And what they didn't understand was that the fact that I was chuckling and giggling was not because the devil was leaving. Right. I just found the whole thing hilarious. Why were they performing an exorcism? They were sure that that's what was driving me away from the church. Um, I had, uh, the bishop decided to call me to the Melchizedek priesthood. And I told him that probably, but you know, I have never really read the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants. So I don't want to do this until I've succeeded getting through those. And, uh, his response was, no, you're going to be ordained uh, next Sunday. Well, this is like still really early, right? I mean, how, how long had you been even attending an LDS church? Mm, less than a year. Oh, my gosh. Now that, so I, I read your paper that you, that you wrote, but it's been a while. I'm trying to remember, um, and I've done just a little bit of reading on my own. So they understand the priesthood as like an Aaronic priesthood and a Melchizedek. So that's pretty unusual for you to be kind of fast-forwarded that quick, right? It was. Um, I was ordained into the Aaronic priesthood right after I was baptized. Why? <laughs> Were you well, just I special? Kind of had the question, too. <laughs> right. And, and not distinguishing between what they determined as a call and the way I perceived it in mainland, mainstream Christianity uh, identified it. Right. But there, it's more of a rite of passage, Okay. Rather than really answering a call. Okay. Uh, then when I got to Lincoln, I kind of dug my heels in, and uh, I'm not sure I want to do this. Right. And uh, they, they tried to force the issue, and my response was, fine, if, if you're not confident enough in your beliefs to let me read these things thoroughly before ordination, then maybe you have a problem with this, and so I have a problem with this. Right. So I was inactive until I, I got to law school. Um, it really put a strain on the household, uh, and I was raised that families should be of one faith. Sure. Uh, so at this point, I'm going along with the flow. I get to a law school in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, two of my professors were LDS. Really? And uh, so I struck up an acquaintance and friendship with them. Um, Then uh, later realized that, gee, I'm going down a road I really don't want. Uh, And now the the difficulties within the family are getting to be really a threat to the marriage. Oh, sure. So I had to make a decision. Do I risk my marriage? Or do I go do something I really don't believe in? Well, I was a good lawyer. A good lawyer can talk himself into believing almost anything. <laughs> That's why people love him so much. <laughs> and uh, there were a couple of times like that that uh, I tried to get away from the church. And either my wife or the leadership of the church put on a full court press to, uh, to keep me there. 
and eventually became a high priest. I sat on the uh, high council, uh, state council uh, in Wichita. Uh, so I, I moved up through the ranks, and, and that was fun. Yeah. Uh, but you have to remember that there's no paid clergy. Uh, the, the, the men of the church fulfill all of those functions. Yeah, that blows my mind. No paid clergy. No paid clergy. No one who's actually educated to be clergy. Right. It's just a matter of how you came up through the ranks is what you know. Right. And some of the really bizarre things have been passed up through the ranks. Uh, for instance, a, a friend of mine became inactive because they told him he'd have to shave off his mustache. <laughs> and that was the issue? He loved his mustache <laughs> more than he loved the church. <laughs> So those kinds of things happen. And, and when you start tracking that back, the church never said anything about facial hair. Right. And facial hair was very common among all of the leadership through the 1800s into the 1900s. Sure. Uh, so that didn't make any sense. But our local leadership decided that it did. Yeah. Local leadership, <clears throat> from my understanding, makes a ton of difference in the LDS because, like you said, with no paid clergy, it's – from my understanding, there, is, there isn't a lot of from the outside, like a, somebody from the regional area takes a call to be the, the new pastor or leader of an LDS church. So in, in that little local area, the, people's opinions and ideas can kind of solidify and galvanize into sort of a new doctrine. And that's, that's weird. Very much so. Um, even though they have manuals, and those manuals are two, three inches thick. Right. Um, so who wants to sit down and read that? <laughs> uh, and, and most bishops, I don't think they do. They go to it to answer specific questions. Right. Uh, and yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, Mormons are today's Pharisees. Yeah. They love rules. And if there isn't an existing rule, make it up. They're going to find one. Um, if you don't know the answer to something, okay, make Time it up. for a new rule. Yeah, and if you've got a rule that, uh, that you found in the Scripture that you don't like, ignore it. Yeah. Because it's probably in the Bible, and they don't put much emphasis on the Bible today. Now, it's not historically true, right. but it is today. <clears throat> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but I kind of want to get a better perspective. So before all of this, you guys were attending a Presbyterian church. Mm-hmm. Before that, did you grow up um, as a family in church? Did your wife grow up as a church-going person? Uh, Hazel really didn't. Okay. Uh, th- there was no church foundation there, Okay. Uh, which is why Mormons were so attractive to her. Sure. Uh, it provided some sort of an anchor, and if you don't know anything else, it's very compelling. Sure. I grew up attending the uh, uh, yeah, Disciples of Christ uh, in Waukee, okay. first Christian church out there. Yeah, uh, when they still had the uh, the little wooden church on the south side uh, of the uh, highway going through, and a lot of my memories uh, go back to that little church. And uh, my daughters asked one, really two questions. One of them is if. After all of these years, you are not 100% sold on Latter-day Saints. Maybe you better look for something that you could be 100% sold. Right. And uh, so I did. Um, The other question that was asked was, Dad, when you think of church, when you think of home, 
what comes into your mind? And thought about that for a long time and realized that everything that I was doing or thinking went back to that little church in Waukee. To me, that was what a church was supposed to be. They had mm-hmm. excellent pastors, uh, and I, th- I felt, you know, this is the way a pastor should should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I investigated it to the point that uh, decided that maybe I'd like to go to seminary. Uh, still in in high school, or, uh, and uh, my parents wouldn't allow that because <laughs> you can't be a doctor. And they didn't. The way it was explained to me is, how are you going to feel when you go to a family reunion and your brothers are driving Lincolns and Cadillacs and you show up in a beat-up old station wagon full of kids? Mm -hmm. Well, when you're 16, 17, 18, that's a pretty compelling kind of argument. Yeah, sure it is. Uh, And that is also (laughs) one of the reasons I ended up going to law school, is that I really thought maybe the family would find that acceptable. Okay. And he didn't. <laughs> Still not a doctor. <laughs> Still not a doctor. So uh, any family would, I assume, be very proud to have a doctor, a dentist, and a lawyer in the family. Um, and they were proud. They just weren't satisfied. Yeah. And that's, I guess, a word to parents is that sometimes subconsciously put a lot of pressure on them. Oh, you're not joking. And it's, it's, no, <clears throat> it's no better today. In fact, I would say it's worse. Because today, parents are absolutely living through their kids, um, and they measure their success as parents, by extension, their success as human beings, by the success of their kids. And that's dangerous because eventually they end up taking way too much responsibility for their kids, and, and their kids don't take responsibility for themselves. That's how we end up with a snowflake generation that is just... Uh, they they can't understand consequences. They can't understand taking responsibility for what they do. Um, it that's why we're in this generation with these millennials that people complain about. And I actually don't complain that much about millennials because, as somebody pointed out, who is a millennial? Look who raised us. <laughs> like we didn't get this way by magic. Something happened. Yeah, it's crappy it, parenting. It it. it. Evolves into some interesting situations. A lot of them very disappointing and unfortunate Mm -hmm. uh, that you're trying to please mom and dad. Yep. You may not know what would please mom and dad. But I think we've probably lost an entire generation of artists, musicians, uh, writers, because mom and dad didn't see those as viable uh, career paths. Right. And uh, so finished at uh, DMACC. Uh, spent uh, about a year at uh, Court and Times Republican, where I was the news editor. Uh, from there, I went to the Man- uh, Marion County News uh, as the uh, managing editor. Uh, from there, I went to work for the ambulance service. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed being a first responder. Um, but I also realized that I'm not at my best form when I'm up to my elbows and blood and things. <laughs> um, you know, some guys go into that very confident, uh, and I wasn't. Um, and, I, you know, anybody that's going to be that squeamish, that reluctant, probably doesn't belong in medical school. Right, right. Uh, so from there I went to Iowa News Radio. And uh, that's where I was working uh, when Hazel and I got married. Um, and we, uh, we were married almost 37 years. Uh, 
from there, went back into broadcasting, went to Sioux City at, at KUSL uh, as the assistant news director and sports director. Uh, had a ball, but had the chance to go back and finish my bachelor's degree, and so that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, I went to uh, Topeka, Washburn University School of Law. From there, I took a position as the assistant county attorney in Lebec County. And uh, <laughs> I went to the uh, police chief. We were, we were talking one day, and I told him, you know, I don't even know if I passed the bar. And here I am. We <laughs> bought a house. Would uh, you like a lawyer on your staff if I flunked the bar exam? Yeah, how does that work? And his reaction was, you bet. We'll find a way to grind and follow you in. I passed the bar, uh, spent a year prosecuting, and then went to the police department uh, as a, one of the senior officers and uh, department legal advisor. And that was fun. Uh, from there, I went to, uh, to <coughs> Joplin, Missouri, and the police department there. I was recruited by the chief who happened to be LDS. Interesting. <laughs> and you know, one, one of the things that is, is cool is that a good Mormon takes care of his own. Yeah, I've noticed that. They, they look to hire. They look to encourage uh, job opportunities, advancement in career. They, they work hard at that, Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, I, I think that's a great quality in any church. It, it is. Uh, it can become very confining. Uh, it's difficult to get fresh ideas. Sometimes you need new blood. Sure. Uh, and that doesn't always come from uh, the members of your church. Right. Um, and I also had, I was one of those that the bishop called and said, we've got somebody that's unemployed. Uh, they need to build a resume. Can you recommend a job for them? And my reaction was always, have them here at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. We'll, we'll put them to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was foolish on my part. Oh, yeah? Uh, the only times that I really had problems with employees um, were members of the church, hmm. and including one that uh, I terminated. And uh, she decided that she wanted uh, unemployment. And uh, went ahead and, and appealed that. Lost it the basic level, appealed it, and lost there. So now I'm faced with going to court over really a parking space. Right. Um, she ultimately lost. But that cost me a lot in terms of uh, time, energy, stress. Uh, so it can go bad. And she was a member of the church? Mm-hmm. So that would probably cost you some honor and face in the church. Well, under the circumstances with her, it really didn't. Okay. She was uh, a, a problem even for the church. Okay. Now, the flip side to that is the secretary that was with me most of the time in Wichita was LDS. She was loyal. She was faithful. She was a hard worker. Um, and when we closed that practice, we were proud to uh, write recommendations for her to work for other lawyers. And last I knew, she still is. Uh, so it can be very good. Sure. But if you're using it as a shield to hide behind or an opportunity to take advantage of, that doesn't work so well. Or it works great and you're a crappy person. (laughs) (coughs) Oh, I got this cold. I cannot shake it. (laughs) I'm miserable. Oh, this has been bad for a week now. You ought to be getting over it. I know. 
young man like me in good shape. <clears throat> I'm not that young anymore, unfortunately. So um, from there, how do you end up back in Des Moines? I uh, spent four years as a Lebec County attorney, a uh, year as the assistant, moved to Wichita. Uh, that's where we stayed uh, <coughs> until uh, we moved to Virginia. Uh, I worked there for a uh, uh, radio station uh, in Richmond. And uh, we eventually landed in Virginia. Uh, I got laid off at the radio station there. And after discussion with my wife and with my father, uh, my mother had passed away several years before. Uh, Dad uh, said that if you don't have anything else that you can rely on, would you consider coming back and living with me so I don't have to go into assisted living or nursing home? And uh, right after we got back, he had his 90th birthday. And we're thinking, how long can he live? Right. <laughs> but we got him on a regular schedule, got his meds straightened out, got him three square meals a day, made sure that uh, he got a reasonable amount of, and he lived another three years. Cool. And uh, we went to Texas from there. Um, then Hazel died while we were in Texas. And I went to Clovis, New Mexico to live with my youngest daughter and her family. Uh, at the time, her husband, who's active duty air force uh was in afghanistan and uh, we felt that uh, it was probably a, a, a good idea when he was coming back that maybe two alpha males in a relatively small house wasn't a real good idea right. and just by happenstance my my sister called and i was telling her the situation and i said why don't you come back to iowa stay with us until you get your feet so I did. And uh, that also is when I got reacquainted with Jan, whose husband had died just a few weeks after my wife. So we got together for mutual support. Mm -hmm. And I came back to Iowa with the intent of some form of a ministry. I didn't have it formulated. I knew that there were really, one, I wanted out of the LDS church. And now I had the chance. I jumped on it. I knew I was coming back to Iowa with a ministry in mind, and I expected it to be a music ministry. Hmm. But when I got to uh, initially Lutheran Church of Hope, I found out that <coughs> mainstream Christianity had moved on uh, 30 years ago. So I was horribly out of date. I was also <laughs> well, rusty. I hadn't played for years. And uh, What do you play? I, I play uh, piano and organ. Okay. Earlier, I, I played uh, violin and trumpet and bass. Uh, so I, I was pretty adept musically. Uh, at least I was when I left mainstream Christianity. Right. Uh, so Jan worked with uh, uh, a fellow who is the uh, president of the board of directors of Evangelical Chaplain Ministries. And she commented that, gee, my, my husband is... Working, or, well, my husband then, but that I'd come back, was looking for a, play, a way to be ordained, and intended to uh, to, to preach. And uh, Evangelical Chapel Ministries uh, really provides worship services and pastoral services in nursing homes, assisted living, 
those kinds of, of, of facilities, which was not something I really had on the radar. I found out that um, at Walden Point they did not have any form of worship, and uh, my mother-in-law uh, really got set up so that we could start doing services there. And uh, it went, again, a 50-bed facility, and we were running anywhere from 10 to 15 people. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up uh, in the ministry as well. Awesome. Uh, I completed the uh, Timothy Initiative. It's a three-and-a-half-year course normally, and uh, I finished it in 18 months. Uh, was duly ordained at Grace West, uh, certificate of completion for the Timothy Initiative, and I've been going great guns ever since. Right. Now, how did? <clears throat> what was it that that you said you wanted to get out of the LDS? Why did you want to get out of the Mormon Church? Well, I think my daughter summed it up very nicely, and that is, if it's not something you can believe in a hundred percent, you need to go find something you can because, Dad, it's tearing you apart. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those things that, okay, I know this isn't right. I just don't know what else. Uh, so while I was living with my sister in Clovis, uh, I had a little room to myself and a laptop, and I started looking at all of the denominations in the United States, or at least the major ones. And uh, you know, your growth through the training for ordination may provide you with answers, but not necessarily the answers that you're going to understand. And there were a whole list of things that, that bothered me, uh, including the, the idea of ongoing revelation, uh, which is very narrowly confined when it comes to bishops, stake presidents, uh, and, and church leadership. For instance, I couldn't come into your office if you were a bishop and talk to you about whether it's a good idea to split the ward to... Form two out of one. Uh, those conversations would not take place unless I was on the stake high council or above. Uh, and you know, those kind of things bothered me. Um, the one that really, though, bothered me was the idea that I was ordained over my objections. <laughs> I really felt that if the Lord wanted me in ministry, he would call me. Instead, it's the bishop saying that he was prompted by the Spirit that I should progress in the priesthood. So that to me was the reverse of what it should be. And I saw a lot of people in positions that were well-intentioned uh, that, boy, they get in over their head. Um, you know, some bishops can do fine at marital counseling, for instance. Uh, other bishops really have no business doing it. Uh, they don't have the, the training and the experiment, experience yeah. to really do that. Sounds to me like <clears throat> you were saying earlier, that picture of home, that, that church, you know, in Waukee, Disciples of Christ, it, it sounds like you probably saw there people who felt called into the ministry, pastors mm-hmm. who who felt a passion towards it. And you could you could see it, that they were felt like they were called to do it. And all of a sudden you're hearing you're not called and all of a sudden doesn't matter. You are. That's one of the the real challenges is that a lot of the decision-making is taken out of your hands. Um, And, yeah, and and one of the problems is someone who is really interested in ministry 
um, there's no pathway to work toward being a bishop or above. Right. Uh, it's all a matter of, of uh, the bishop feeling the call that you should be there. Um, that lends itself towards president. like a political system where get in the good graces of a bishop, do the right things, maybe you get the call. Yes. And you're not in the church very long until you start to understand the politics. The other aspect of that is that you've got a lot of people who are not trained for a calling. Uh, you've got a lot of people that are called into positions that are not suitable for. Uh, all with the idea that the Lord called you and he'll qualify you. Um, and I had some callings that wasn't real sure that this was a good idea. Yeah. Uh, there was also what we called the Mormon Mafia. <laughs> I've heard of this. <laughs> and basically it, it is a good old boy system. Uh, if you may be the most qualified person to be uh, the bishop's counselor, but one of these uh, Mormons who was born in the church, raised in the church, worked his way up through the priesthood offices, and also could track his heritage in the church back to Joseph Smith. As soon as that person walks through the door, you know that he's going to be called to something large. Right. Uh, that's the Mormon Mafia. You, you, you've got somebody that uh, that uh, has this wonderful heritage, and he will be called whether he's any good at it or should really be right. in that kind of position. <clears throat> um, when I first heard of that, I was like, there's Mormons that go around breaking kneecaps and offing people? And then I did some reading on it, and I was like, oh, that's so much less exciting than I was hoping it would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was hoping there'd be like the secret society of Mormons that were murdering people. Once upon a time, there was. Oh, yeah, but that's true in every church. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Christians yeah. used to burn witches at the stake. We Those little things called the Crusades. Yeah, we've done that before. That's one of the things that uh, yeah, I tell people is that, you know, the Catholic Church has had 2,000 years to bury its past. Right. Also has 2,000 years of experience in dealing with right. uh, the different scandals and so on. Mormons, on the other hand, haven't had 200 years yet. Right. Uh, so their quirks and misdeeds are much more upfront. Yeah. And it's only within relatively recent history that they had presidents who had come from business backgrounds uh, or communications that took a look at it and you know, we really can't go this way. Right. Uh, because it's, it's not going to work. And uh, they made some really good changes in terms of how they're dealing with people uh, and uh, how they're dealing with doctrine. And uh, almost all of the, the education, whether it's Sunday school or uh, Relief Society or the Elders Quorum, the lesson that they're going to teach uh, this Saturday or the Sunday, I could get on a plane, fly to Tokyo, and they'll be doing the same lesson. Yeah. Um, we got in, I, I got in trouble because I was taking some of the lessons out of order because I, I didn't feel that people had the foundational knowledge. Uh, and I was told, no, you're going to get back on track. They can catch up. Hmm. 
And that's what he did. And rarely did those people last very long in the church because they were floundering. They didn't, didn't get it. Uh, on the other hand, the Mormons are very good about providing people who will be mentors uh, that will welcome you into the church. Uh, their missionary program is absolutely awesome. Almost 60,000 Mormon missionaries in the field today. And they're baptizing a lot of people. Uh, they have now turned more of their emphasis to South America and Africa. Mm-hmm. And those come with their own set of problems. Uh, and, and they really have handled that very well. Um, there's a lot we can learn right? in terms of work ethic, um, especially 99% of the Mormons, you could turn your entire bank account over to them and they eventually would return it back to you with as much or more money yeah. originally. Um, J. Edgar Hoover loved to hire Mormons. I've heard of this too for the FBI, right? Yeah. <clears throat> uh-huh. Because they were trustworthy. Right. Uh, and they were hardworking. Uh, and they knew how to follow rules. And all were, those were all things that Hoover was looking for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't think he ever regretted it. Uh, it's not as Mormon heavy today as it was. Uh, and, and Mormons are branching out into other areas of law enforcement and, and business. Um, but they still have uh, some issues in terms of how do we handle things. Right. The last few years, there was a group of women who decided that they wanted to attend the General Conference priesthood session. Well, that's members of the priesthood. Men only. Only. And... Uh, so they tried to get in by force. They were blocked by force, if I remember the story correctly. Eventually, they were called. What they wanted to do was open up the priesthood for women to play more of a role and to be more of the uh, deciding decision makers in the church. Um, really felt that this all male environment really wasn't addressing a lot of the issues that they felt needed to be addressed. Makes sense. And uh, they refused to let them into the priesthood conference. Most of those women were eventually excommunicated. We talk about excommunication in terms of first century Palestine and what it means to be uh, thrown out of the synagogue. For Mormon, it's very much the same. Right. Uh, If you leave the church, you run the risk of alienating your family. You may lose a lot of business connections. Um, your friends are, are now turning elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went through the period of inactivity in Lincoln, I uh, was, was good friends with another undergraduate student. And uh, he came over. And he, he said he wanted to still call on me. I said, that's fine as long as we keep the subject away from the church and church members. Well, I can't do that. Uh-huh. The church is so much of my life that I can't promise to not do those things. If, if our friendship is solely based upon membership in the church, there's the door. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, I eventually ran them off. Uh, then we moved to Topeka. Somehow the records didn't get transferred. So we had quite a distance uh, in, in time um, 
where I was not active at all. Right. I also fell into another trap there, and that is I can get my religion, my beliefs, from watching television. <laughs> yeah, that is a that is a danger. Um, multimedia and proclamation of the gospel exploded in the last oh I don't know thirty years, where televangelists <clears throat> and for a long time it was good stuff, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't say it was great stuff. It wasn't what we would consider doctrinally pure, but. Man, there's people sitting at home who, who can't get out of the house to go to church, and here you've got songs and scripture and preaching. That's better than nothing, I think. <laughs> One of the things we, I got into trouble with uh, with the bar is that we asked everyone uh, that came through. We were, did family law, and so we were doing seven to 800 divorces a year. Oh, yeah, yeah. And one of the questions that was on the intake form is, do you have a church and are you regularly attending? And usually the answer was no. And we, so we would take the, the step of, you know, if you're not attending church, you need to. If nothing else, you're going to find an hour or two that's stress-free, good music, at least most churches welcoming uh, members. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you get to hear what usually uh, is a, uh, a good message that uh, should leave you at least a little uplifted. And uh, we went that route because of just those reasons. Religion as such didn't enter into it. Um, but we found that once we could introduce someone into the church of their choice, that the divorce went smoother. There was uh, less psychological damage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had a new circle of uh, of friends and acquaintances that's not dependent upon the marriage. Mm-hmm. So that was really one of the better things I think we did. Um, and, and it encouraged people to start thinking in terms of. Uh, I stayed out of any pastoral counseling as a lawyer because uh, I didn't want those roles mixed. Uh, and you know, when you're dealing with that many people, you're shouldering a lot of, of worries and pain. Um, I, I remember once we saw a new client on Christmas Day uh, because that was the only time that he could get away <laughs> without his wife figuring out where he was. Yeah. Uh, and we lived in a uh, Victorian mansion that was built in 1886, and law offices were on the first floor. And the living quarters were on the second, uh, which worked very well, except you're never away from the office. Uh, Work is right downstairs. Always, and there's always somebody that's knocking on the door. Uh Uh, So that was probably one of the worst decisions that I made. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, we had, at one point, we had five Pomeranians. (laughs) That's another terrible decision. (laughs) Well, it worked out pretty well because we had people who would come in who didn't have an appointment to sit on the couch and play with the dogs. And you'd hear them, you know, I think this is the first time that I've smiled or laughed in weeks. Um, They were popular enough that uh, we made the front page of the Wichita Business newspaper. Um, I still haven't found that plaque. I don't know where it went in the moves. I don't know. Um, But it was very popular. And we found other law offices then starting to pick up on that. 
Sure. So <clears throat> back to the back to the LDS Church. What are the the biggest um, doctrinal differences? Because you've got a unique perspective. You were deep into the Mormon Church, and then now deep into the Christian Church, which which is just cool. Because I, I love the the Timothy Initiative. Um, what I've seen of that, and then coming out of that, you you dove into churches. Um, you know, found Living Faith, found the Bible study that we do, and, and you're deep into Luther and, and reading the, the Book of Concord, doing, going through our confessions. So what do you see as the, the biggest distinct differences between those two? Well, I think one of the starting points is that you have <clears throat> pastors who have been called, and they answered that call, that are trained to do the job. They're not flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, that's one of the big differences with Mormons who somebody may be called uh, to be a bishop and really has no concept of what it means to serve a congregation. Now, if they came up through the church, then they are very familiar with the procedural aspect. Uh, and they have really learned it. But that's not necessarily true. Right. Uh, you may get somebody who's dotted all the I's and crossed the T's, but still didn't learn anything. The other really big issue that bothered me, um, my wife was terribly sick for the last few years of her life. And one of the things I would do is read the Bible before I turned out the light. And, and I would read it aloud so that she could hear it as well and, and ask questions. And uh, th- that was very beneficial. But it also meant that I was reading things that, okay, this doesn't fit. Among them, the, perhaps the most important is the concept of the Trinity. Uh, that to a Mormon, there are three separate individuals in the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's his son, Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And while they may be of like mind, there's still three individual entities. Yeah. And that isn't the way Paul wrote it. No. <laughs> and I looked at more than one version of the Bible to make sure that, uh, which was another one, they, they, they believe in the King James Version. Yeah. KJV only. And, uh, yes. Uh, what a wonderful thing it was to uh, go to a bookstore and go into the Bible section and realize that there's more than one version. Yeah, and they don't all suck. Because no. <laughs> uh, the King James Version sucks. <laughs> well, you really have And I guess that was one of the other issues with that. Uh, I was sitting in a Sunday school class, and one of the, the gals asked, why do they have all these these and thous and so on? And the teacher who was otherwise very intelligent, knowledgeable woman, said, well, that's because that's the way they talked in Jesus' time. No way. Yeah. (laughs) See, that's where you get back to that uninformed, uneducated, and I don't mean, that that sounded terrible. I mean uninformed biblically and uneducated biblically and theologically laity and leadership where, I mean, that would just – I, I mean, thinking of that in terms of an LCMS, Lutheran, or other trained pastor in, in any mainstream Christian denomination, thinking that way, I mean, it, just to not even know that Jesus didn't speak English. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing. Well, after the class, 
I went to her and it said, you understand that the King James Version was translated during the Elizabethan period, that what you're really doing is reading English according to Shakespeare. Yeah. And boy, I got a sideways glance that, you know, yeah, what, uh, what coconut landed on your head? So the next Sunday, I brought uh, a book with me that I had uh, on the shelf, How We Got the Bible. And I gave it to her. Is that a Mormon book? Nope, it's not. <laughs> Didn't think so. So I don't know whether she ever read it or not. Uh, I would like to think that she did. But there's a lot of that, that if, if that is not a Mormon publication, the church has its own publishing arm. Um, but if it's not written by a Mormon, then it's very suspect. For sure. Uh, the Bible is very suspect. Uh, and the way they explain it, that we believe and the Holy Bible is the word of God so far as correctly translated. See, this is what I don't understand. <clears throat> I actually wrote this down as one of the notes, is that um, we would, from my perspective as a, as a Lutheran pastor at, and Christian my whole life, we have a very high view of Scripture. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes we have a, um, our population has a low acumen. We don't know the scriptures. We just know that they're right. <laughs> so, but the the Mormon Church is ironically d- opposite. So they have a low view of it. They they are suspect of scripture, but they have a high acumen. I mean, they know their Bible. Why why do they spend so much time studying to know something that they're suspect of? A lot of it goes back to uh, the missionary effort. And, and one of the things that I tell people that uh, don't try to get into scripture bashing with Mormons because you're going to lose. They know their material, not only the Bible, but the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. When you meet those missionaries, you're meeting a young man or young woman that's been preparing for 19 or 20 years to meet you. And if you don't have that kind of grasp of scripture, you're going to run into trouble. And it's going to shake your your, your faith uh, that, may, well, maybe we are wrong. Um, and they, they come out <clears throat> absolutely prepared in that regard. Uh, if they are called to a mission, um, then they'll go to the missionary training center, and they will go through anywhere from a month to two or three months, uh, not only steeped in scripture, but also learning foreign language for wherever they're going. Right. Uh, so you're running into someone that literally has spent a lifetime preparing to meet you, and, and they would be glad to get you uh, quoting scripture. What I did that didn't work too well, but I think I was on the right track, is I refused to let them quote the Book of Mormon, prove the truth of Latter-day Saints through the Bible. Well, there are some things that, that are in the Bible that would seem to ju- justify their beliefs. Uh, but you got to kind of twist it a little bit. Yeah, you got to play with it. Uh, and so th- that's why I, I advise people, don't get into an argument with them. If you want to know, listen. There are some good questions for you to ask. Uh, one question you don't want to ask is how many wives are you going to have? <laughs> um, which I've never understood because I've got one too many right now. <laughs> I'm not sure who's uh, who's signing up for that. 
Well, and that's where <clears throat> Mormon history becomes very, very foggy. Yeah. Don't really know how that really started. We pick it up usually with uh, Lucy Mac uh, Smith, uh, Joseph's wife, and going to her to explain that uh, you're not going to be the only wife anymore, which she never really adapted to. Uh, she didn't like it. Surprising. Isn't it? <laughs> and from Joseph's perspective, though, I, I think his attitude was that if I have 10 wives, at least I'll be able to find one of them that doesn't have a headache tonight. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know, I, and there were some really good reasons for polygamy. And, and it did work really very well. Um, as During the westward movement, they lost a lot of men. So there were a lot of women, most of them with, with kids, who were now destitute because they had no income. Uh, and the easy way to resolve that is to have them marry so that they go into another household. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now she's provided for, the kids are provided for. And it is, at least theoretically, a way to uh, to to assist these women, and and a lot of them were quite elderly. Yeah, um, you know, you see a, a, one of the church leaders that's maybe in his thirties, and marrying somebody that's in their seventies or eighties, right? So that they can take care of them. Yep. yep. It was also in that process, though, that the wheels began to fall off the cart. What started as a very compassionate thing then became a very lecherous thing uh, that men were even taking wives away from other men. Oh, jeez. And getting married at age 17 or 18 uh, or younger. Some of those marriages would be illegal in Iowa today because the bride was way too young. Yep. But it was a way to... uh, ease some of those burdens. Yeah. I always tell Christians to be careful when it comes to um, talking to and and ministering to somebody who is Mormon because um, usually our our minds go to the the crazy, wonky, uh, we we would often say crazy, silly nonsense of, of where things began. So you're telling me a guy was looking into a hat and translating how this seems like just utter bullshit. I mean, what is the... This is nonsense. And I go, just time out. (laughs) Think for a second about our own lineage and history. We're the ones who believed some guy walked on water. (laughs) Can you believe he spit on the ground, made mud, stuck it in somebody's eye, and they could see again? This is crazy. We have that same same thing with polygamy. Mm -hmm. Boy, yeah. So that's crazy. Ah, polygamy. It was just trying, well, <laughs> go back in the Old Testament and you're going to find some polygamy amongst uh, the patriarchs of the Old Testament. So um, that's that's not the right route. Now, I, I do think, I, I happen to personally believe that there was some huckster stuff going on with, with Joseph Smith. It just kind of sounds and reads that way, um, especially because he had a bit of a history to it. And so I I suspect that. I can't know for sure but what I know is that God doesn't reveal things that are contrary to things he has previously revealed. 
that's where I go. So what if there are, and that, that's how I try and, and have conversations with people is what if, you know, your faith and, and belief to, and I'm not saying with Mormons, anybody. So if what you believe is true today contradicts what God revealed to be true then, does that mean God himself is a contradiction? Does that mean he's not trustworthy? Because most people, if they believe in a concept of God, they, they believe he's good, he's trustworthy, he's just. I go, okay, so how does that jive with the way he was? And if, if we can't reconcile that, then we got to start asking, is this consistent with what God has always proclaimed? If it's not, we got the problem. And, and that's true of, of Mormons as well. When I sit down to talk to uh, people, uh, almost, it's not the first, it's the second question, and that is, are Mormons Christians? Yep. And the answer that I give is, I don't know. I can't answer for all Mormons. I can't answer for myself. Uh, you're, yes, you're going to find people that I would define as Christians. Uh, in my case, I was raised in the Disciples of Christ and never lost that, that belief but tried to mold what the Mormons had around it. Yeah. So was I a Christian? Yeah, I was, because I was raised that way. Uh, we went to the Presbyterian Church, understand their concept of the Trinity. Um, and there are people that I've known that, uh, yeah, I think they probably would meet the criteria to be Christians. Not a lot of them, but probably the same percentage as what you would find in any other church. And that's what wigs me out is I think you're right. I, th- I think there are a lot of people who would who would claim they are Christian who are not members of the LDS, who Jesus talks about as, as being those who he will say, I do not know you. You say, Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. Heaven's going to be a strange place. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> and I think we're going to be surprised at uh, who's there and who isn't. Agreed. Um, and... and I run into people that, well, Hitler must have been the Antichrist uh, or what. Actually, if you look at history, Hitler was not the, one of the great executioners. That goes to some other folks. Attila um, the Hun. Attila the Hun, for one. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mao Zedong. Uh, there you go. Um, there was the uh, Pol Pot in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. All of which really did a more effective job of eliminating people who conducted genocide. Mm-hmm got away with it and killed tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands, eradicating certain tribes or groups within their society. And I think that's a natural evolution. Dictators follow a normal or a predictable pattern. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I learned uh, in a graduate class, is that if you really want to understand a dictator, ask why he needs that big army yep. of largely untrained, uh, ill-equipped. Because the primary role of a, a dictator's army is to protect the dictator. Yep, they're a huge bodyguard force. Yep, and that's why when they go to war, it doesn't work too well. It's it's why it's why Gaddafi went down the way he did. So mm-hmm. Libya, go ahead and, and denuke, and then all of a sudden the teeth are gone. Doesn't take too long for everything to fold. And this is why I'm if if uh, North Korea and and Kim Jong Un or is it it's Un now, right? Yeah, 
it, <clears throat> I'm sure that's why he's terrified of all this too, because he realizes that you take away the teeth and the threat, and all of a sudden, it cl- why is this crazy guy still in power? And all that goes away. I mean, that's what dictators do. Um, but you know, it, it it's hard for me to when, when people want to know the same thing from me. Are, are Mormons Christian? And I I can honestly say <clears throat> it is not a Christian church based off of their their doctrine that they present. So I'm I'm not judging an individual Mormon, and, and I I know Mormons. I I mean, I, one of our um, former neighbors and, and somebody who has you know cared for our children for a long time, Mormon, and a beautiful woman and a beautiful family with beautiful kids. I love them to death. But I'm just I, I have to be honest to say, when you don't get the Trinity right. That's that's like the the benchmark. That's that's the very first hurdle. If you don't get that thing right, we can't say that's Orthodox Christianity. Now, as you were saying, are, are there those who are part of it who maybe don't know the full teaching of the of the church or have a different understanding of what they believe than the church actually? Well, that's true in every church. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't make any specific determination on any specific person in the LDS Church, but. Yeah, the Trinity. You gotta get the Trinity right. I mean, if if Jesus isn't God, fully God, then his death didn't fully redeem anybody, and it it didn't it didn't work. That cross thing was a failure. <laughs> <laughs> it was an oopsie. Well, and they have different things, such as the, the, the priesthood. You have to have been baptized by a member of the priesthood. Um, I, I baptized two of my both of my daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how bad a member of the priesthood I may be, I'm still eligible to go ahead and do that, uh, which Luther probably wouldn't have a problem with. Right. Um, but it still struck me as, okay, this is a little, little strange that we're going to tie up whoever we are going to have bad, do the baptism. And th- that kind of bothered me. Right. Um, the idea of a priesthood that is called by someone else's prompting. I really think that if Jesus wants me to be a minister, I'm going to hear it from him directly, right. uh, not through you. Uh, and, and that, again, is a very very uncomfortable area. And um, in calling someone, bishops follow a specific line of thought uh, questions that are really pretty thorough. But they're also vague enough that you can get some wiggle room in there. Sure. Um, so and the answer to that I have that is, are Mormons Christians? Got to go ask the Mormons. One of the things I'm frustrated with is that so much of the material, especially online, is produced by anti-Mormon People that have been somehow alienated from the church. Right. And uh, some of the wildest things come up that are supposedly LDS beliefs. Well, they're not. Um, Brigham Young's journal is not a work of scripture. Right. Uh, so you, you you get into that kind of, of, of dilemma uh, as a Mormon, but also as people look at you, you've got to punch through that. And at least get a glimpse of what's in their heart. 
Yeah, what are the, some of the, the biggest myths you think that, that mainstream Orthodox Christians have when it comes to Mormons? Mm. I think the one that I had the most trouble with uh, was the idea that uh, supposedly God came to earth, turned into a man, and then had sex with Mary. Oh. And that is not one of the Mormon beliefs. It never has I've been. I've not heard that one. Uh, that's a great one, though. If you're going to start a rumor oh, yeah. of a heresy, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Because it involves sex, and, and we all get squeamish around sex. So, if, yeah, if I'm going to discredit somebody, sure. So that, to me, was one of the, the difficult ones. Uh, the whole idea of, of polygamy lends itself to some pretty wild tales. That, sure. You know, Brigham Young had 100 wives. Well, actually, it was around 20, uh, if I recall correctly. And you have to take a look at those wives. Yes, some of them were young. Some of them were pretty elderly. Yeah. Uh, some of them were widows of church leaders. Uh, so polygamy is a, is a much more complicated issue than people uh, really think. Yeah, and let's let's not paint the the church in a negative light in in those ways. When we can just stick to, okay, what do you believe? What is the doctrine? What what does the the Book of Mormon say? And I've, I mean, I've read the Book of Mormon. I actually got a great story on that. I think I've told you this when I was when I was a kid watching TV. Middle of, like well, it was probably during the summer. It was probably nine thirty, ten o'clock at night. So I'm up later than I normally am. I think I was in fifth grade or younger because I remember which house I was in at the time. And a commercial came on, and there was a, a free book, and it was about Jesus. And just call this number. So I remember going and I had to like write it down because I couldn't remember it because, you know, the, we didn't have a cordless phone. I had to go in the other room. Some people don't even know what a landline is. I'd go to the landline, dial the number, and just started talking to somebody on the phone. And I was, I was young, and I don't remember at all the conversation. I don't remember anything about it other than a live person talked to me for a while, and we got a free book in the mail. And my parents freaked out because it was the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and they were like, what did you do? And I said, I don't know. I called a number. And I was scared because when the book showed up, I thought I thought for sure it was a scam and it wasn't free. And I bet my parents owe like a million dollars to somebody now because I made this phone call. So everything was fine. They were nervous that I had like real questions about the Mormon church. And I was like, I don't know what Mormon church is. So that's fine. <laughs> That that is really a very typical experience. Uh, that once the door is at least cracked open, then they're going to work very hard to uh, to push it open. Sure. And the missionaries are are told to challenge someone to baptism on either the third or the fourth meeting. So if you're meeting with them once a week, they're pushing you to commit to baptism within a month. Yeah. I don't know about anybody else, but I can't read fast enough to uh, sort that out. Well, you go with your feeling. If you get the warm, fuzzy feeling, then it must be God's will. Well, my experience is that when I get that feeling in my chest, I usually start reaching for the nitroglycerin. Yeah. Um, and that, that's not to insult or, or really even criticize, but it is a difficult way to try to make a, a decision. Yeah. Uh, because it's very easy to produce that warm, fuzzy feeling, oh, this must be true. 
Sure. And once you hit that point, the door is wide open. Yeah. Uh, and that is uh, one of the questions that uh, that I encourage people to ask is that uh, what role does Jesus Christ play in your church? Right. I couldn't agree more. And that's one of the things I read in the Pearl of Great Price when, when I, I – I did some pretty deep reading on this at, at one point. But it's like I said, it's been several years. So this quote's probably not 100 percent accurate. But along the lines of the, the Pearl of Great Price says something about Jesus that is, as we are – he once was. As he is, we will become. And so, I mean, I, I guess I would need to sit down and really deconstruct that with you or, or somebody active in the church to say, so what is the difference between, as far as nature and, and essence, me and Jesus? Because if we're the same thing, then Jesus isn't God, because I'm not. I don't think, or am I? Does the Mormon Church think I am? I knew men whose primary focus was to be good enough and be faithful enough that one day they would be a god with their own universe. And these are very good Mormons, hardworking, knowledgeable, usually very intelligent. But their primary thrust is, I want to be a god. Wow. And is that indicative of, of most of the church or is that just a – because I can imagine how you know each region or area, is like, like we were kind of saying earlier, could kind of develop their own sort of set of doctrine. But, I mean, how does that – is that a pretty widely held – Yes. Under, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. And, and the ex, acceptance that very few will be good enough. But that's also how they develop into uh, salvation by works. It wasn't that long ago that the Bible was the scripture emphasized. Right. I don't remember which president, um, but made the decision that the Book of Mormon is what makes us different. Who was that and Taft that, guy? Yeah. I forget the rest of his name. Who also was uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture in the Eisenhower administration. Oh, really? So he came in with credentials to listen to. Wow. And you run into people that, okay, uh, I may not be saved by works, but works are going to determine which level of heaven I get into. Yeah. And that also ran into a problem because I find very little in Scripture that supports it. Some that if you look at it with that intent, yeah, it could justify it. Right. Uh, But that really isn't what it's saying. And that is one of the other problems uh, within the church, and that is they don't necessarily do their homework. Uh, If I'm going to do a a sermon, I will first turn to the Bible, then to two or three study Bibles, then to a commentator. Right. And it's a foreign idea to them. Uh, That's why sometimes they are – some bishops are so afraid that people will – make erroneous comments that their sermon message consisted of reading an article out of the, one of the church publications. Yeah. Um, they've been a long ways, and I think in the wrong direction, trying to make sure that nothing incorrect comes from the pulpit. Remember, they have no paid clergy. Right. So 
the people that preach will be under the, the guidance of either the bishop or one of his two counselors. Um, and they usually have two, maybe three speakers on a Sunday. And usually it'll be a husband and wife. Um, or someone else that's been called. And if they're at all concerned, then you just need to read the message out of the, out of the ensign, uh, the church publication. Yeah. And to me, I often want to listen to somebody read. I'll go home and... <laughs> Can you just email that to me? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was really a, a kind of a strange experience. And that's evolved since I joined the church. Yeah. Uh, and what evolved also uh, was away from the Bible to the Book of Mormon as the most correctly transla- translated piece of scripture. Yeah. Uh, so now they spend very little time on Jesus. Yeah. During this period, I went to church uh, for a full month, listened to all of the messages, counting the times that Jesus is mentioned. Other than invocation or prayer, in the messages themselves, not one mention of Jesus for a month. For a month. And this is from a church whose corporate name is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Right. And unfortunately, Jesus is kind of forgotten. Yeah. You know, when I said earlier that sort of the first benchmark of Christianity, this is a Christian church, is the understanding of the Trinity. Um, you, you, that is, that, that's, I think, correct, but then you, you can't get that right unless you get Jesus right. And this is frustrating to me in, in uh, every Christian denomination that's out there is, is unless we are pursuing understanding the person of Christ, because this is the most clearly revealed to us. I mean, it, it's important to understand God the Father. We have much less data on God the Father, you know. We we have good data. We have, I mean, there's a great deal of data in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Jesus talks about His heavenly Father. We we have data on that. We have data on the Holy Spirit. Some Old Testament, some New Testament. We've, we've got data, but we have the words recorded. We have the life, the actions. We we have a a human revelation of God the Son in Jesus. Let's spend the most amount of our time in our in our energy theologically understanding who is Jesus, and that's what that really um, I think the biggest flag on on the Mormon church is, is man you got to understand who Jesus is because if he is it and and we can't understand him differently that's that's what I love about the incarnation is you can read the the stuff of the old testament about the father new testament father old testament spirit new testament spirit and you can kind of interpret them and and i understand people come from different perspectives with different values different ideas and they get those a little bit differently but jesus was a dude he walked around you you can't there's not a lot of wiggle room on that he 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 was a human and, and fully divine, I'll get my doctrine correct here, fully God, fully man, blah, blah, blah. But you can't, you can't get around that. And we all have the same source documents. We all have the same source documents. There, there isn't like, well, you know, they use Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we use Bob, Mike, Sam, and Tony. Like, that's not a thing. <laughs> so focus on the person of Jesus. And, if you, and Jesus actually himself says, if you know me, you know the Father. So let's let's get that right. 
I, it drives me crazy when people say, well, to me, <laughs> Jesus is. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have heard that uh, as recently as the uh, day before yesterday. Really? Yeah. Uh, that, well, Jesus was just a good dude. That yeah. Wandered around. To me, he's a nice things. person. Nice. And I'm sure I'm going to heaven because I've lived a good life. I've been a good person. Um, now, the fact that you're doing a one to five in prison is a different story. Uh, but that, and they have the same difficulty as a lot of mainstream Christians, and that is salvation by grace. We don't pay for it, we don't earn it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's there. And once you have accepted that, after that, it's not going to determine whether you going to heaven or not right the question is what did did your heart change and what did you do with it and mormons will be very quick to give some good answers to that um and by and large they are good people mm-hmm. but they're also earning their way to the celestial kingdom um that way they can live in god's presence and eventually be a god and that's frustrating because they're really nice people <laughs> yes It'd be a lot easier to hate them if they... <laughs> if you want a friend. <laughs> you want a friend. Yeah. Mormon is a good friend. Like I said, my, my, my neighbors and their previous neighbors, because they moved, they, man, they have been blessed. They've, they've got um, they got beautiful family, beautiful home, and they're just wonderful. <laughs> they're seriously nice people. So that is, you know, the, I don't know, frustration is probably not the right word because I'm never frustrated that somebody's nice. But it, we shouldn't, we shouldn't disparage them. We shouldn't. I, another, another myth that drives me crazy is, um, and it's not exactly a myth. It's, it's the temple clothing, which then everybody calls the holy underwear. I don't really know how accurate all of that stuff is, but I do know it's pretty hypocritical for Christians who have their own Sunday best that they only historically for a long time, you'd only wear these clothes to church on Sunday to then turn around and be like, you have clothes that you only wear to church. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Shut your pie hole. Yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about what occurs in the temple. And I've heard some really strange ideas uh, ranging from deflowering virgins to whatever. Uh, you know, without going into the details of the, of the temple ritual, um, there's a lot of good material in it. Yeah, uh, it certainly is going to leave you uplifted. Uh, you are going to be with Mormons who have been interviewed and deemed worthy, and there are also some things that we can learn from them that are they're very beneficial. They're, they are on the right track, and a lot of us aren't. Starts with family home evening. Yeah, family home evening is a time when the family family comes together. And does something as a family unit. Right. Watch a movie together. Uh, go have pizza together. Um, but that period, everybody from the family is supposed to be there. The other one is your emphasis on family. Uh, church comes first. Family comes second. But not by much. Right. Uh, and they will... For instance, uh, you're, you're supposed to have a date night with your wife at least once a month. No kids. Babysitter takes over. 
and it's you and your wife paying attention, experiencing each other. Right. I think that is also a very good uh, idea. One of the myths that you run into, or I, I do once in a while, is that, well, they're brainwashed. No, not really. Uh, brainwashed means that you're replacing an existing value system. They were brought up this way. Right. Oh, that's a terrible thing. Well, okay. But we have catechism. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just the same Oh, yeah. Same Why concept. would you begrudge somebody for teaching their kids what they believe? Yeah. And <laughs> Hello. they're pretty good at it. Yeah. Most of the teachers are pretty good. And get them off to the, the lesson track and things get a little dicier. Yeah. Uh, we'll find them deciding that, gee, I know what happened to the dinosaurs. Uh, what happened to the dinosaurs? A meteorite. That's okay. usually what I hear. <laughs> Um, and some other people who otherwise are extremely intelligent uh, will come up with uh, those kinds of, of, of beliefs. That is not part of Mormon doctrine. It's speculation, and they really discourage you from doing that. Yeah. But uh, you get folks that have maybe a little too much time on their hands, yeah. spend a little more just with the church material, it can lend itself to some unfortunate uh, events. Well, that's that's true in um, the Lutheran and Christian world too. But the the difference, I think, we enjoy this um, highly trained clergy. So I mean, I, I get it all the time. There's there's members of my church who will suddenly have this revelation and be like, "Oh, I think I know something," and I, th- I think I thought of something new. I was reading the Bible and. Sometimes it's it's just you know banal, silly, and you're like, okay, uh, no, not really. But sometimes it's you know kind of an interesting tidbit. But having done the work, going to seminary and done the study, I can tell you that this book has been studied for two thousand years by tens of thousands of people, way more intelligent than me, or probably than anybody alive today. So. We didn't miss anything. <laughs> and that's what I would say is you're, you're not going to find something interesting and new. You're not going to be like, oh, I think maybe blah, blah, blah. I've, I read this and I'm coming. I go, oh, man, this is – let me tell you the first time that that thought came around was the second century or the third century or the fourth century. And here's the guy and here's the, the academic work that went into to try and understand this. And here's – I mean there, there, are so, there are no new false teachings. Because there are no new ideas. There's no new thoughts about Scripture. We're never going to read something in the Bible and go, hey, I think tens of thousands of theologians over the last 2,000 years just missed this one piece, and now here it is. But that gets completely undone if you don't have a high view of Scripture and you believe in ongoing revelation. Because then you just say, oh, no, yeah, they, they missed it because God didn't tell it to them. And we we hear this new book, and turns out it's a, it's a new thing. But what if it contradicts the old thing? Oh, well, that's ongoing revelation. He God changed his mind. He's doing something new. There you go. Ongoing revelation is central to Mormon beliefs and the family unit. By ongoing revelation, they mean that uh, the book of 
Mormon or Doctrine and Covenants or mm-hmm. the other doctrine of the church uh, is usually added to to explain something. They also believe in ongoing revelation for themselves. That a good Mormon will prayerfully consider uh, almost every question uh, to determine what God wants them to do. Sometimes that's contrary to what we know about God and God's will and God's plan. Uh, but it was revealed to me. Um, you, you always watched for someone that um, did. Well, the Lord has prompted that look out. You're going to get in trouble one way or the other. Either a calling is coming that you may or may not like yeah. uh, or, or something else. Uh, and I found it very difficult to keep up with all the ongoing revelations that I was supposed to have. Um, do I think that, uh, that God reveals things to people? Uh, yeah, I think occasionally they do. Um, a lot of things that we want God to help us make a decision on, God really doesn't care. I agree. (laughs) He's more interested in how are you going to actually perform this. Yeah. And how is he going to qualify me to do this? And you find doing some of those things with big decisions. Yeah, I I hear this all the time. When when people ask, you know, I've been praying about this and I'm just trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And being the guy I am, I usually just want to yell at him and be like, oh, shut up, you're an idiot. Why do you think God gives a shit about whether you you do this or you do that? Like, So the biggest thing that God cares about lines up with the biggest thing God ever did. I mean, this is, this is true for all of us. <clears throat> the things I care the most about, I spend the most time, energy, and resource doing. Mm-hmm. The things I don't care about, I don't spend time on. The things I don't care about, I don't spend money or any other resource on. So what does God care the most about? Well, what did he do the most? uh, What issue did he spend the most resource on? That would be, you know, salvation, eternal life, the the defeat of death and eternal damnation, forgiveness of sins. That's that's what the cross and the empty tomb are all about. So the way I actually... Uh, answer that question oftentimes. Um, not always because it's still kind of rude and mean. So it depends on if the person's crying or not. Because sometimes when somebody asks me that question, they're like, I don't know what to do. And then, then I don't want to be a jerk. <laughs> but my answer should every time be, well, which one of those did Jesus die for? <laughs> and the answer is always, uh, I don't think either. Okay. Cool. There's an answer. <laughs> right. So if, if you're trying to figure out, oh, I don't know, if, if uh, what does God want me to do with my – does God want me to go to Iowa or Iowa State? I've been praying over this for months, Pastor, and I don't know. Well, which one did Jesus die for? Did he die for Iowa or Iowa State? I don't think that's what Jesus' death was about. Okay, so there's your answer. It, it's probably more like up to you. He's given you this – freedom to to choose and then serve him and and live the life you're supposed to live at that institution go do it anyway it comes down to the final analysis you've looked at iowa you looked at iowa state go to drake (laughs) (laughs) or you and i (laughs) yeah 
but they can get very tangled up in these things. Oh, paralyzed. And it's not really Mormon doctrine. Right. But it's the doctrine put into into practice. And it works pretty well if you're following doctrine. Mm-hmm. But like any church, you start getting off that doctrinal base, sooner or later you're going to regret that. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of useful moral discipline in the LDS church. And I've, and I've always thought <clears> – <throat> some people disagree with me. My, my buddy Duncan I don't think is on the same page here. But I, I think if you had a Venn diagram of morality that is you know secular or just good and useful, like we would call this the natural law in, in Lutheran circles, and <clears throat> good, blessed, Christ-centered good works – it's like a huge overlap mm-hmm. because, you know, I think Jesus doesn't want me to kill people and I think a secular government doesn't want me to kill people. So there's an overlap. But like being a good citizen, a good neighbor, a kind person, um, family values, all of these things really do. And, and I think that's where uh, it's easy to, to have this well, I guess tension and, and undecidedness of is the LDS church Christian? Because a lot of the stuff they do is very Christian. But we don't believe that Christianity is about what you do. It's about what God has done. And what has God done? Well, now you have to get into back to, well, the biggest thing he did was die on a cross. Unless you don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, do you believe in Jesus as true God and true man? That's a great question for the Mormon Church. I'm not sure how they answer it. I think you probably run into several different answers, um, and you're really kind of asking them to get off topic, which they are very uncomfortable with. <laughs> right. Um, and that's one of the problems too. That if your emphasis is on the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants, you've got a huge hole, and only the Bible will fill that hole. Right. Um, so the word of counsel is learn your scriptures, learn the Bible, read the doctrines and, and stay at it until you understand it. Uh, don't just accept what someone says, go to the source material. And that's where a lot of Mormons will fall short is they're accepting what a teacher is telling them. Right. Now, that teacher, if he's following the lesson plan, is not going to go off target too much. But there's a lot of uh, strange ideas out there. If you really want to know about people, well, I looked uh, on Wikipedia or this anti-Mormon site. You really want to know what the Mormons believe and what they're about, go to LDS.org and read it. It's there. It's in black and white. It's really laid out very, very compactly and understandable. I had enough trouble with the Mormons doctrinally that I didn't have to look very far. I already had that knowledge. Yeah. Um, but I had that knowledge because I'd been diligent in reading the Bible. Right, right. Because you were brought up in a church that highly valued it, that 
preached it regularly and I, so I'm convinced <clears throat> maybe maybe you didn't even realize it but that was probably one of those things where when you're you're thinking about it's grinding against you about how they call and uh, how they appoint priests and all this kind of stuff it's it's really that that foundation of scripture that probably caused you all of that heartburn over the years be like man this is not what the bible says when you're sitting in bed reading scripture to your wife who is deathly ill and she looks up and says that's not what we've been taught those moments were critical to my thinking my wife died at about mormon but i also learned during almost her last hospitalization that she had been, well, it started with, no, I don't want you to call the bishop or the high priest group leader. I don't want you to do those things. A little strange for my wife. She always wanted those people to come and minister to her. And then sometime later, learned that she was meeting twice a day with a hospital chaplain. Cool. So she was developing some questions. Uh, and how far she got on it, I don't know, because it wasn't too much longer until the dementia started to uh, take hold enough that you really didn't know what she was really trying to say or trying to get at. Between my uh, wife and my father, I, we took care of my father for the last three years of his life. Um, it overlapped with my wife for about a year. Um, so we were the primary caregiver, or I was, for about five years. And it wasn't really a good experience in many ways. But one of the things that it did do was that I couldn't leave my wife at home and go to church. So I didn't go to church much. And I did listen to some of the pastors on on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was fortunate. Uh, I, I was hearing Robert Stanley. Um, some of them that uh, that at then were doing a pretty good job of staying with, with the gospel. Sure. Um, and that allowed me the time to think through. Uh, to 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 analyze. When I left the church, I understood that there was going to be a price to be paid. I was just going to ask you about this. What was that like? My son is devout. Even among Mormons, he's conservative. Um, I don't think he ever understands it at all. I don't think he gets it. What happened to Dad? Somebody hit him on the head or my oldest daughter was the one who said that if you don't buy this 100%, then maybe you better find someone that you can. Um, and she is not involved in any form of religion. My youngest daughter had a lot of difficulty, both with the fact that I remarried uh, and I was leaving the church. But she came eventually to the conclusion that, you know, it's dad's decision. And if that's what makes him happy, 
I don't understand it, but I can live with it. Right. And really, that was as much as I, I asked from them. Um, you, you understand that I, I could move to Des Moines, and through whichever ward I would be in, I have a ready network of friends who I've never met. Uh, I have people that are there to uh, do a lot of good things, helping you. Um, but the real penalty is the fact that it's going to divide the family. I wouldn't do that with my wife, especially by the time I really had serious questions. My wife was seriously ill and breaking away from the church meant breaking her away from the church as well. And in those last couple of years of her life, I couldn't do that. I could not take that away from her. So I stayed long after I really had lost uh, what they call a testimony. Uh, it just wasn't there. I knew they were wrong. Uh, I could articulate pretty well what, why they were wrong. Um, but that reasoning wasn't going to carry much weight with anyone other than me. Right. And it did. And we even talked a couple of different times that, that gee, think I'd be a good pastor? No, I don't think you'd be a good pastor. Why not? Well, we don't have pastors in our church. <laughs> right. Yeah. <clears throat> My son came home, oh, it was a couple of months ago, and came home from school, and, and one of his friends was just kind of giving him some grief. Um, I think more joking than anything, but a good friend of his said, um, told him that Christianity was a cult. So my, my son and I have a great relationship, and he just asked me point blank. He goes, is Christianity a cult? And I was like, woo, hang on. <laughs> Give me some backstory. <laughs> Why are we asking this? He goes, well, that's what my friend says, and he, and he won't let it go, and he keeps saying it. He says that's what his dad says. And I go, well, let's talk about what a cult is. And I get this question about the Mormon church a lot. And, and I think well, there's obviously a lot of loaded negative connotation to that word cult, all right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you hear cult, you think um, Satan worship, killing goats, and, you know... David Koresh. David Koresh, ATF busting in with tanks, starting things on fire, killing babies. That's... <clears throat> that, is, that was a cult. <laughs> so let's, let's be clear there. Qualifies, yeah. But that's, that's not the only example of, of what cultish behavior is like. And the way that if you if you kind of read on cults and, and I had to do this in, in seminary, it's been a while since I brushed up on it, but I did with my son. So let's look into this. Cult usually means something along the line of a high pressure to remain inside the organization with consequences if you leave. And those consequences so it's it's a sliding scale. And so we talked about it and I said, what would happen if um, you decided 10 years from now, you, you don't believe in this Jesus thing. You don't believe you're, you're just bailing on this whole Christianity thing and you're not going to church anymore. So what would the consequences to you be? And he goes, well, you'd probably be pretty upset. I go, well, I would be. I'd, I'd be very sad. Mm-hmm. I said, do you think I'd stop loving you? Said, no. So do you think you wouldn't like – so 10 years from now, you know, you're, you're out of college. You, you're living somewhere, have a great job. Do you think I wouldn't 
have you to my house for Thanksgiving? You know, coming home, that's a big family thing. He goes, no, I don't think that. Okay, do you think so, – so what would you lose? What, what pressure is there that you have to stay or else? And, you know, sometimes the or else is we will shoot you on the way out. But sometimes the or else, you know, in, in um, other pseudo-Christian denominations like Jehovah's Witnesses and others is this social, economic pressure that there's a high cost for leaving. So what do you think? <laughs> Former member, high priest. Well, I, I, I think that uh, yeah, there is a cost associated. Um, my son and I will never have the relationship that we did before. Uh, I don't think my daughter and I will ever ha- really have, but we've kind of come to a mutual understanding. Um, in fact, that uh, by leaving the church, I lost an entire network of friends. And uh, that, that's hard. Uh, I can't say it cost me financially, but it certainly did emotionally. Uh, that, you know, do I really want to be estranged from my son? Now, Charlie and I can still talk. More often we email or text. Uh, so there's no hard feelings in there. But there is a growing apart because we're going in almost diametrically opposed paths. I don't think he's right, and he believes with the same intensity that I'm wrong. So we put religion in a cupboard. We don't talk about religion. may talk politics, may talk history, may talk a lot of different things. But one thing that we don't do is talk about religion. I can live with that. Yeah. Um... You know, if I keep that relationship open, then there's always the possibility that we will uh, be physically close enough that we can have more of a relationship. Um, I have a grandson that I haven't seen for almost four years. I have a new grandson that uh, isn't but a couple months old. I haven't seen either, but I want to ch- that's going to change this summer. Yeah. We're going to go down to uh, Warrensburg. And- yeah. See, I always do so – anybody who's listening to this, if, if they happen to pick this up somewhere and they're part of the LDS church or anybody who's part of any denomination uh, or, or church, I, I try and tell people to think of it in this terms. Nowhere does Jesus associate a cost of leaving him. I mean, we know what that cost is. I mean, if, if you abandon the faith, you you are essentially embracing the, the destiny of all of mankind apart from Jesus, which is this eternal death. But he doesn't say, follow me or else. If you, if you leave me, we're going to come get you. What he does, so he doesn't associate a cost with leaving him. He associates a cost with following him. The cost of discipleship is, isn't that if you leave, it's going to you're going to lose this, you're going to lose this, you're going to lose this. It's if you if you come and join me, you're going to have to give up this and this and this and this. It's entirely opposite, and I and I think that if um, so, I'm not going to tell you. I I don't know um, if the LDS is a cult or not. I, that's not up for me to decide. I I ask everybody to examine their own specific church. 
their own specific belief system. And if there's a cost for leaving, that is inverse of what Jesus himself says about following him. That should be one of the warning signs. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I, I derived great comfort from Jesus' comments about I'm setting brother against brother. Uh, and that happens. Personal experience. Yep. Uh, and so, but, but I draw comfort from the knowledge that I'm following what I believe is the, uh, the correct path. So how do I reconcile it all? Don't know they have. Uh, there are and will remain uh, different questions. Um, but I'm also making a conscious effort that, okay, you don't need to be thinking about comparing this with LDS. Quit making that comparison because it's useless. Yeah. Christ didn't count on multitudes. Uh, he wasn't going to modify his, his language or his message based on personal opinion or uh, social and economic uh, issues. The gospel is as it was and always will be. Mormons have a, a song that you learn in, in primary, which should be um, same thing as our, our younger Sunday school. And the, it's called Families Can Be Together Forever. And it's a beautiful little song. And it should touch you. Not because you're a Mormon, but because you're a human being. Right. Uh, that we want families to eventually be together for eternity. Uh, and, and that is one of their primary themes, is that your family can be together forever. Now, there are some strings attached that if uh, dad isn't good enough Mormon to make it to the social kingdom, then we're not going to have dad. So it becomes a tremendous amount of, a lot of times unintended, pressure. Sure. That, dad, you shouldn't be doing this because that will keep you out of the celestial kingdom. Um, their idea of a born-again Christian is, well, you don't really believe in the born-again experience. Um, I do, because I've been through it. Uh, there was a point after Hazel died, and I was living uh, with my daughter in New Mexico, where I knelt at my bedside and prayed that the Father would take me home. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the only thing that saved my life is it was about the same time that Robin Williams committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, that, you know, the last thing my grandsons are going to remember about me is finding my body. And I couldn't do that to them. Mm-hmm. And that's when I went back that same evening. Father, I'm done. Take me home. I, I can't shoulder the burdens anymore. Uh, he didn't, didn't give me what I wanted. But I'll take what he gave me, hands down. Which is the removal of the burden. Amen, brother. we got to wrap this up. There's another group waiting to use this room, so we got to go. Two hours. Boy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll have you back on again. I I do sure appreciate uh, you coming in. That's such an awesome story. And we'll do this again because you're not a a one-note guy. You're not just my favorite former Mormon. (laughs) But... um, You've got a lot, man, just a great perspective. Like you said, sports, uh, politics, all that stuff. One of the areas we didn't get into 
is why Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yeah. It was that, a, I do want to get into that another time. You no, know, I made that decision. It was a conscious <laughs> decision. Yeah. And uh, that in itself is a pretty good story. It is. All right. For, so for the next time, we'll, we'll do a, a part two of this. But thanks for coming in, brother. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Well, there you have it. That's Jim. That's his story. Cool story. Still unfolding here at Living Faith. Um, fun to watch. I'll just say that. His uh, growth in passion and desire for doctrine and scripture and faith and all that kind of stuff is cool. So I did appreciate him coming in. We'll do another podcast at some point in time. That guy's just got way too much to talk about. There's so many things in his background that's cool. So we'll get there eventually. No worries about it. Um, otherwise, you can get a hold of me. Uh, at Luke underscore Tim on Twitter, Luke underscore Tim on Instagram. Email me at all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Love to hear from you guys. Talk about, uh, give me ideas for things to talk about or people to talk to, whatever it might be. I just enjoy doing this and I really want to thank you for listening. Uh, I love how many listeners I've been getting and, and the feedback I get from kind of all over the place. So please keep listening and uh, let me know what you want me to talk about. I'd love to do it. You guys make this fun. So. Until next time, be good.